The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. When we're constantly coming from this unconscious state, we never take time to really look at how am I responding? How can I do this differently? And then how can I celebrate me? How can I realize that damaged is not doomed and the rest of my life is mine? And that's the beauty of healing at work. I'm Maura Aarons-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope work can change in the future. You know, when we think of the workplace, a lot of us might have good vibes. We might love our job and our coworkers. For a lot of us, though, Work is a place where there can be tension, drama, and discomfort. I wanted to talk to today's guest, Susan Schmidt, because she flips the script on what we think about the workplace can do for us emotionally. In fact, Susan says the workplace is actually a caring, healing lab, a place where we can learn to heal from past hurts, anxieties, and fears. For every encounter at work we have with a stressful situation, mean boss, or just stupid stuff, our workplaces, today's guest notes, are places where people have chosen us. They've invited us in. And work teams offer a learning lab to get better at interpersonal communication and resolve our deep-seated issues, even the ones from childhood. Schmidt co-wrote the book, Healing at Work, a guide to using career conflicts to overcome your past and build the future you deserve. And she talks about something called ASDP, which stands for Adult Survivor of a Damaged Past. Here's our conversation. You chose the workplace as a venue for healing. And and you note right up front, for a lot of us, that feels really counterintuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, the office is not healing. <laughs> That's true. But you say, you say, no, no, stay with me here. Why? You know, there are actually several reasons why the workplace is the perfect place for emotional healing. First of all, um, I don't know if you're familiar, you probably are with Dr. Martin Seligman's work on flourishing. He has a model that he says uh, that there are five ingredients to really flourishing in your life. And the five ingredients can all be achieved in the workplace. The first one is called positive emotion. And so when you think about your life in your career, there are a lot of positive emotions that occur. Just getting hired, you know, you're the only one who was picked, the best person picked the job. (laughs) That right there creates positive emotion. Secondly, the second category for flourishing is engagement. And of course, now more than ever, companies are focused on engaging their employees. Many companies, including my own, are focused on listening to employees, trying to understand what's working and what's not. Uh, R, which is the third ingredient, stands for relationships. And of course, the workplace is full of relationships. We meet people at work we would never meet otherwise. And so the opportunity for developing meaningful relationships is available to us. The M stands for meaning. We need meaning in our lives. And of course, from a career standpoint, many of us find meaning in the work that we do. 
And also, many companies stand for a greater purpose or a higher meaning and calling. And then finally, the last ingredient that Dr. Seligman talks about is achievement. We need to achieve in order to feel like we can flourish. And of course, again, the workplace is all about achievement and results. And so right there is sort of the first opening to say, hmm, maybe we should be using the workplace in a different way. And then the second reason why I think the workplace is so perfect for healing is that it is full of conflict. Uh, my co-author, Martha, and I call it uh, call conflict bumper car moments when you're you know, going about your day, about your life and your job, and all of a sudden someone comes crashing into you or you go accidentally crashing into somebody else, triggering a lot of emotional negative responses. And I believe that most people try to avoid conflict. We, none of us really like it. But if we look at conflict as a catalyst for growth, we can learn how to navigate the conflict in a very different way that allows us to practice new responses when we get emotionally triggered. Because for about two thirds of us, it's very likely that we have old triggers from our past that may be sneaking into our workplaces every day and causing havoc. Yeah. I mean, the premise of your book, which is super interesting, going back to those of us who are carrying stuff from our past, is is that the workplace is almost like a lab to work out and unlearn things that that happened in your childhood with your family, who, of course, you could not choose, unlike mm-hmm. your coworkers. Mm-hmm. They didn't choose you for most of us, and you didn't choose them. And so it's super interesting. You frame this in the context of people who are AS, S for Sam, DPs. Mm-hmm. Um, how do ASDPs function differently at work? What are some common characteristics? Sure. First of all, let me explain what an ASDP is. So about two-thirds of adults grew up in a childhood before the age of 18 and experienced one, at least one of 10 adverse childhood experiences. Right. The Um, aces. The aces. Exactly. And and so when Martha and I were writing the book, we were trying to think of, um, you know, something to call those of us that come from a dysfunctional past and ACOA, which is a common term that's used for adult children of alcoholics, um, is is useful, but we felt it was too narrow and really describing, yeah. you know, this broad group of us that, that did experience at least one or more of the ACEs. And so we came up with the term adult survivor of a damaged past. And so basically adult means that we are adults now. We get to choose how we live our lives. We don't have to be prisoners to the past. Survivor is, I think, a hopeful word of resilience that whatever dysfunctional dynamic you experienced when you were younger um, is also a great gift in teaching the ability to to manage difficult situations. Damaged is not about us being damaged. It's more about having beliefs about ourselves that are damaging. And Mm. the past recognizes that, you know, when you have experienced something negative in your, you know, before the age of 18, the past can sometimes stay with us. And, you know, it's almost like a a heavy burden we carry in our hearts. But the opportunity is to realize that we don't have to, uh, we don't have to be um, guided by unconsciously the impact of that past that we can break through that. And so ASDPs, we, we show up very differently in the workplace. And um, it's a really interesting question because, you know, when I think about Martha and I, she and I are both ASDPs. 
but we are like totally differently. We, we operate totally differently from a career standpoint. So there's yeah. not a specific, um, pattern. Uh, you know, so for me, for example, I've spent, uh, 30 plus years in the corporate world. Martha self-selected to be her own boss and to not work in a company, but rather to work with companies. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think some of the common characteristics that are true for ASDPs is that we carry some limiting belief about ourselves or limiting beliefs that affect mm-hmm. how we interpret today's experiences in our career. So for me, for example, if you looked at my career, you'd say well, that was pretty successful. However, what you wouldn't know is that underneath that success of the achievements was an underlying belief about myself that I was not good enough and that it was my job every single day for, I hate to admit this, 30 years of my 34-year career to go out and prove myself over and over and over again. And that this is because a a direct sort of of a line between your experience as a child and this proving. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I call it living the unconscious wounded career path. And what I mean by that is that, I, you know, for me, for sure, and I, you know, I have the privilege of working with lots of people in the workplace, I see this dynamic a lot, is we are unconscious to how much those past negative beliefs about ourselves, our past triggers, the things that trigger us when we have a negative, you know, emotional explosion that occurs when something negative's happened in our minds in the workplace. And there's this feeling that we we're never, we're never enough. We have to constantly keep pushing. And um, some people choose uh, a path of overachiever, which is not uncommon. That's the combination of people pleaser and perfectionist. Some people actually respond from the place of, of fighting their the bullies in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's another way that people can respond. And then the third way is that some people become invisible they, they, um, I know one woman, for example, who told me that she spent her 30 year career and she never spoke first until spoken to. And, you know, some people, you know, stay quiet and stay hidden, keep their heads down in the workplace and others leave companies when they feel like the, the environments become too toxic for themselves. So ASDPs, I think the commonality is having experienced some negative event, some dysfunctional dynamic. And, and actually, it's interesting, Maura, some people have told me, you know, I didn't experience one of those ACEs, but I did have an overly critical parent or hmm. a parent that was overbearing. And I have some of those same limiting beliefs. And so, the, again, the opportunity is to, to not try to describe exactly, but it's more about this, this unconscious um, impact that those right. negative limiting beliefs have on us and how how detrimental and how much suffering can get created when we stay unconscious to the, those, those past dynamics. Tell us a little bit more specifically about how your childhood trauma manifested itself throughout your career. You know, it's such an interesting question because I honestly never would have associated with the word trauma in my, when I thought about my past Um, And by the way, this isn't about blaming parents. I think our parents do the best they can, given whatever they learned. But my dad, as I got older, became more and more unpredictable in terms of rage, raging um, outbursts. And he was a big man. He was Mm -hmm. very scary when he would 
um, you know, go into one of these rage fits. And, you know, of course I was small um, and I have memories of him being so angry at me that he comes charging at me like a bull. Mm. And when you're small and you're experiencing that, it feels life threatening. And, you know, so there's just this unpredictable dynamic that led to us feeling like we had to walk around on eggshells in the house, constantly being hypervigilant to watch for his mood and whether or not it was good or bad. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it was too hard to predict that. And so what I didn't realize, what I was unconscious about coming away from that childhood was that I did take away a belief that it was my job to please others. And it was everybody else's job to determine my worth. And it was a really broken belief system that I didn't even realize I had, you know, so I went to college, I went on to graduate school, started my career thinking this is great. Again, not thinking about any kind of trauma specifically. And then as I pursued my career, that underlying unconscious belief system that men, especially men in authority, but women too, but particularly men because of the dynamic with my dad had all the power to decide yeah. my worth as a human being. And if I underdelivered, or if I did something in a meeting that I felt I shouldn't have done, or I didn't speak up and I should have every single night, it was like I did a performance review of myself and ended up beating myself up over and over again. And so that, well, that's how I lived my career for a long time. It's funny. I was going to ask you about your relationship with 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 men, although I think in the book there is one sort of sort of toxic female boss that stands out. But mm-hmm. I'd love you to talk about how this pattern of interacting with authoritarian men, including one who you had a relationship with mm-hmm. for a long time in the workplace, played out and how you finally, I mean, did you just have like an aha moment about this at some point? Like what was the what was the turning point for you about this pattern? Yeah, it, this is such an interesting journey. So for years, I, I would write about things from my past. I wrote about the night my sister died. I wrote about a number of different things. And it wasn't really until I connected with Martha Finney, who looked at what I'd written and said, you know, how do you go from that childhood to this career? I want to know how you did it. And it was in the partnership with her that we discovered this concept together around healing at work. And it was really in in partnership. We worked together for, I would say, two and a half years researching and writing together. And it was through the the process of conversation with her, understanding her damaged past with a very violent alcoholic mom Mm -hmm. and together discovering that there's a completely different way that we can teach people how to become conscious of that past and how to show up differently on what I call the conscious healing career path which is understanding our limiting beliefs, what will trigger us. So for example, for me, I can get triggered if I feel that I've done something that was stupid or somebody thinks that I'm stupid. I get triggered by angry men. I get Mm -hmm. triggered if I feel um, that someone's lecturing me or I really get triggered if I feel like I'm going to get into trouble. And so of course with men in authority and women, 
there's always that dynamic of thinking, well, what if I do something wrong and I get in trouble? And yeah. so that's the unconscious, uh, the unconscious manifestation of that damaged past showing up, which again, kept me on 30 years of um, a career that was a career that was full of worry about what, what my bosses thought about me, um, you know, going home at night and feeling consumed with, you know, what, what I could have done or should have done at that time, you know, this was years ago, turning to Chardonnay to take the edge off of all that. I'm happy to say I've had my lifetime intake of Chardonnay. So we have parted ways as friends. <laughs> uh, but the, the, um, the impact of the dynamic of that feeling that it was my job to constantly over again, proving myself is, is a, a way of living a career that's a, in a state of conscious anxiousness and, um, you know, constantly flexing to think about, you know, what do I need to do to be viewed by somebody else? I basically outsourced to everybody, men in particular in authority, outsourced to them the power to decide whether or not I was a, a good human being. And, you know, that's unfortunately the experience of being a perfectionist. Us perfectionists define ourselves by what we do versus who right. we are. And that's a lot of power to give away. It frankly. is. And it was done unconsciously. I didn't even realize I was doing it. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what would you say to someone who's listening to this show and they're like, blah, 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 like I'm really anxious about my performance all the time. That's just called work. That's just called performance. Is there a question that they could ask themselves to think, hmm, maybe I'm acting out some patterns? Yeah. You know, one of the questions that we talk about in the book is to ask yourself, am I sure? Am I sure that my boss is angry at me? Am I sure that that person has the power over me? You know, mm -hmm. just starting to become conscious of how we respond. How am I responding when I get emotionally triggered? And mm -hmm. is it possible that my response is fueled from some outdated script from my past? You know, when we're growing up in our childhood, we 
we really are learning how to respond and in, in, you know, feel as safe as possible. And as a result of that, there's programming that happens in our brain, the neural pathways in our brain um, learn how we should behave and respond. Our central nervous system is wired for survival. And so we automatically are attuned to sensations of fight, flight, or freeze. In the workplace, these same experiences come up. And so the question I would ask is the next time somebody experiences a negative event at work is just to ask my, ask yourself, is it possible that I am over responding in this moment because of something from my past? Mm-hmm. And I know for sure I was way over responding because of my past belief system. And it's the first step to becoming conscious around if I'm having an over emotional reaction to a workplace conflict or to a colleague who has done or said something that has triggered me, ask yourself, is it possible this is being fueled by something from my past? And just get curious and ask, am I sure? Am I sure this person's this angry at me? Am I sure that I deserve to get in trouble? Whatever that might be. I I want to zero in on a word you just used, over-emotional. What what did you mean when you use that word over-emotional response? So what I've noticed about myself and others is that when someone has a reaction to something that's occurred in the workplace, and it seems to be a much stronger reaction than the facts of the situation would suggest, to me, that's a clue that the person may be having an unconscious response that is fueled from something that happened in their past. I know for me that when I get triggered, an emotional trigger, let's say my boss does or does not say something to me in a meeting, and I take it to mean that I haven't performed at the level I thought I should have, my immediate response because of my old wiring is to go into um, you know, a mode of, oh my gosh, what do I need to do to fix this? And of course, overachievers tend to have not great work-life balance because we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. And, you know, you go into this sort of response of how do I manage this situation to make myself feel better? I'll give you another example. I remember a situation, this was many, many years ago, where a set of circumstances occurred that were all unrelated and an individual um, was... Uh, involved and the individual got very angry about this set of unrelated circumstances that had occurred. He took it personally. He took it as a disrespectful, a series of disrespectful acts that people were doing against him. And actually, I, you know, it's kind of curious because his response was so over the top. And my question to him was, is it possible that your reaction in this moment, because I asked him how he was feeling. He said he was feeling disrespected. But the over-the-top angry response was an indication to me but that there was maybe something else going on here that was adding, you know, an accelerant to his emotional response to the situation of today. And as we talked, it became very clear that there were some things that had happened in his, um, in his past where he had felt disrespected. And his initial you know, his initial response was, no, you know, I, this, this happened and, and uh, I'm, I'm interpreting it correctly. What I love about this individual is he came back to me several months later and, and ended up um, telling me how much 
he thought about the question around, is there, is there a possibility that something from the past is adding fuel to the, your reaction today? So when I talk about an over-response, an over-emotional response, it's where someone goes into a, a, a series of either, you know, angry outbursts. For me, it's about this over-response from an, a, a feeling the anxiety, the stress and worry. And, you know, so people have different responses to, um, to their triggers, but when it seems out of proportion, that to me is a clue. When I'm spending too much time worrying at night about something I should have done, that's a clue to me that, hmm, this is me worrying about whether or not I'm good enough. Okay, I need to slow down and take a look at what's going on. And I need to self-regulate my emotions because I'm responding unconsciously to, you know, so it's like the childhood ghost is driven into work with you. God. <laughs> Well, let's yeah. let's learning lab this because one of the things that I really like about your approach is that you have all these really practical ways that you can actually literally flip the script on these old, what Jerry Colonna would call childhood hurts. And um, you have this thing called the rapid power reclaim method, yes. which is something that you can literally do when you're triggered, when you are in a conflict or you are triggered and you're having this negative emotional reaction. Yep. Okay, so let's do it. <laughs> First of all, yeah. what is what is the rapid power reclaim method? Well, the, there are three steps to it, and there are three simple steps. I'll tell you step one is called create choice. So when we are emotionally triggered, we have a response. Fight, can, flight, can, or can freeze. We, give me an example. Give me just a okay. quick example that we can all use in, our, in this um, model. And this is uh, a situation that occurred that I was um, preparing for a big presentation and I um, was involved in a series of meetings leading up to my, my presentation. A number of other people had presentations that week. And during the week um, at that time, my boss made some comments that I interpreted to be that I wasn't doing enough in my job. Um, the comments were around something related to an element of the HR strategy. And, and he would share these things, you know, in, in the various days leading up to the presentation that I was going to be making. Well, the night before my presentation, I was feeling a lot of stress. I was feeling emotional. I was feeling triggered. Uh, and the trigger was somehow I wasn't good enough and that I hadn't done something that I should have done related to this, this element of the HR strategy. And I remember my team and I were up late that night finishing the presentation to like midnight, yeah. which of course is never, uh, never good to be short on sleep when you're triggered. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Uh, and so the next morning I woke up really early and I just felt really emotional. I felt sad. I felt um, rejected. You know, all this emotion was coming up. And so the very first step was the, the in terms of creating choice. If we stay in that state that I was just describing, we have no choice. We go into our old automatic responses and we get lost in the trigger. So the very first step is this idea of creating choice. And the first thing is to say, oh, my gosh, I am having a bumper car moment. You know, it's with that myself conflict, with my in my own head based on something that my boss at the time had said. I took it to mean that I wasn't good enough in my job. And, you know, so the first the realization in terms of creating choices is to say, oh my gosh, I'm having a bumper car moment. Mm -hmm. 
And the very first thing we have to do is to manage that physiological triggered response. For me, when I get triggered, I feel like a hook has just grabbed me underneath my sternum. I start to breathe heavy. My, my heart rate goes up. I feel, you know, the, the, the anxiety um, blanket has covered me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and I feel, I just feel afraid. I feel this fear of, you know, whatever. And, you know, so for me, releasing that physiological uh, reaction is the first step of creating choice. And there are lots of ways to purge that energy. Um, we probably don't have time to go into all the ways, but one way that I really love um, is um, a woman named Sheila Darcy just wrote a book and I'm not going to get the name correct, but she has a whole way of thinking around what she calls sketch poetic. And I have one of her um, sketch pads and in her new book, she talks about how do you purge emotion, feelings that are going on inside of you? How do you get them out of you? And she does it through using sketch. And so just taking a sketch pad and just taking a pen and sketching the feeling of anxiety just to get it out of my body onto the paper. The, the art is not about being an artist at all. It's more about releasing that emotional energy that is coming up and getting it out of your system, purging it. So that's one way. Okay, so you've ways. created choice. Let's, because uh, I want to make sure we give this to people. So step one, when you're doing your rapid power reclaim is that you, you're creating choice. You're saying, I don't have to do this right now. I can act another way. Right. And you can manage the physiological response by releasing it. Lots of ways to do it. Step two is called elevate action. And so elevate action. Once we've released that, that energy going on inside of us, that negative energy, then we can say to ourselves, what do I need to do in this moment to elevate my action? And what I did in this particular moment was I took a little pink post-it note and on the pink post-it note, I wrote, your boss is not your dad. I wrote, your team has done a great job preparing this strategy. It's the best strategy you've ever presented. Uh, I also wrote on the pink post-it note, you have choices and options. In other words, my life doesn't have to be completely, you know, focused on this one particular job, this one particular company. And during the presentation the next day, I put that pink post-it note underneath the camera on my laptop and I had it there the entire time I was presenting. I elevated my action. If I had not elevated my action, I, and I, if I had not created choice by purging that emotional energy going on inside of me, by the way, another way to do that is to take a pill and, and hit a, a couch as hard as yeah, you can. Totally. Uh, right? Just to, and scream and yell and get that um, out of you. Elevating action. What happened was the presentation went so well. It was the best, uh, honestly, it was the best engaging discussion the entire week with the particular manager. So that's the second step. And the third step, which is really important and which us perfectionists have a really hard time doing, is we have to take time afterwards to celebrate that success in order to integrate it into our, into our neural pathways. So the third step is celebrate and integrate. And so what I did that day after the presentation went incredibly well, is I literally just went outside. I stood in the sun. I took just a breath and time to release and, and say, good job. You did that really well. And what we do by celebrating, just taking a moment to celebrate, is the rewiring of our neural pathways, which is, of course, is based on the science of neuroplasticity. 
in order to rewire the pathways in our brains, we have to integrate these new responses into a part of our identity. And that's the third step is to celebrate and integrate it into your identity. I want to workshop one more example before we part, because sure. you talk you talk through uh, in your book sort of classic bumper car moments, which I think are <laughs> universal for everyone. There's uh, getting 360 feedback or dealing with criticism, everyone's favorite, dealing with a controlling boss when others treat you like an emotional dumping ground, which I think is probably very relevant to a lot of ASDPs. Mm-hmm. But um, give us the um, rapid power reclaim method lightning round approach to one of one classic bumper car moment. Yeah, well, for sure. One classic bumper car moment is receiving some negative feedback, right? That happens all the time. We're in the middle of performance reviews right now. (laughs) Oh God. And, you know, uh, for us overachieving perfectionists, the last thing we want is for anyone to call out anything negative about who we are. Um, So the rapid power reclaim, let's say you just got some negative feedback or some um, constructive criticism or whatever you want to call it from your boss. It is not uncommon to have a negative emotional reaction when we hear something negative about ourselves. And so, you know, as soon as someone's given you, as soon as your boss is giving you some feedback that you feel is negative, the typical response is to go into an emotional triggered reaction. So because I already believe, you know, deep, deep down that maybe I'm not good enough. If my boss is just giving me feedback to suggest there's something that's not right about me, I can have a very strong emotional reaction to that, that feedback. And, you know, again, the, the bumper car moment is happening in our own head. It's the story we're telling ourselves. So our managers are supposed to give us constructive feedback. That's part of a manager's job, but the ASTP is going to hear it as, I suck at what I do. I should be in this job. My boss doesn't think I'm good at what I do. And immediately we go spiraling down on that unconscious wounded career path. And then, you know, we just stay stuck down there, which is not a good place to be. So again, rapid power reclaim is number one is realizing I, I can create a choice here. I do not have to have that old physiological response. Now you and I both know that when you're triggered, that it's hard, it's hard to say, well, how do I get out of it? That's why you've got to release it and purge it. So it's maybe difficult to do right in the middle of a meeting. Um, but if you're really emotionally triggered, it's okay to say to your boss, Hey, look, you know, I just need to step away for about 10 minutes. Would it be okay if we pick this up in 10 minutes yep. and you don't and need you can to always any- breathe, right? You can yeah. always breathe. Breathing is over or it's underrated. I, you know, I always say I need to breathe more. (laughs) Us ASTPs tend to kind of keep our, um, you know, this constant sense of holding our breath, waiting for something to go wrong. And uh, you're right. So in that moment, when you're starting to feel those negative emotions, creating choice, whatever it means for you, if it's breathing, if it's taking a couple minute break to say, look, I just need to step away. Can we pick this back up. And then you go and release it, screaming, yelling, hitting a pillow against the couch, getting that emotional response out of your body. Our muscles have memory. We remember the the way we feel. So that's creating choice. The second is elevating action. Elevating action might just be having a conversation with yourself, which is, you know, my boss is trying to give me feedback to help me be even more effective. Another element of, ele- of elevating action may be, you know, rather than going into defense, I'm going to get curious about what this feedback's all about. I'm going to ask questions to understand it. 
I'm going to to really focus on what I can learn from this feedback versus beat myself up with it. So each person's going to have their own idea about how they can elevate action in that moment. Um, but to just be intentional about what can I do to go back into this conversation with my manager and get curious. I, you know, you mentioned this about my performance. Can you say more about that? Um, I have a, a colleague who uh, has got his own consulting business and also and is also an author, has this really famous phrase that I love, which is say more. <laughs> you know, we have a tendency when we're lost in our trigger and we have no choice to not be able to hear or ask questions. You just want to get out of the room as fast as you can, basically. You cry in the <laughs> yeah. corner. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this idea of saying to your boss and being curious is, you know, can you say more about that? When do you see me do that? Uh, what advice do you have for me? You know, so that's elevating action. And then again, that third step, celebrating and integrating is so key. When we have a different response to an old trigger and we've handled a situation in a way where we're coming from our highest functioning self, we've got to take time to go figure out what to do to celebrate. I am not good at celebrating. And so um, a woman named Celine DaCosta, who I've worked with, taught me something simple, which is just go into your iPhone and put in the notes page a section called celebrations. And things that you can do that make yourself feel better. So I started, I started a, 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 a you know a little sheet in my notes of these are things that make me feel like I'm celebrating. You know, for me, celebrating might just be taking a hot bath at the end of the day and congratulating myself about handling that criticism in a way that was positive. It can be different for everybody, but it's such a key step to integrate that into how I responded differently, consciously than how I would have responded in the past. Yeah. I think the celebration would be as if you, if you do the same more and you sit and you, you stay and listen and literally, and don't flee. Right. I, I think that that would be such a cause for celebration for so many of us. I agree. I, I just, when we're constantly coming from this unconscious state, we never take time to really look at how am I responding? How can I do this differently? And then how can I celebrate me how can I realize that damaged is not doomed and the rest of my life is mine? And that's the beauty of healing at work. That's it for today's show. Thank you to my producer, Mary Dew. Thanks to the team at HBR. I'm grateful to our guests for sharing their experiences and truths. For you, our listeners, who ask me to cover certain items and keep the feedback coming, please do send me feedback. You can email me. You can uh, leave a message on LinkedIn for me or tweet me at Mora AM. And if you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe and leave a review. From HBR Presents, this is Mora Aaron's Mealy. <laughs>